This morning, uh, we are going to pay attention to a special passage, and it is in in a divine intervention. Uh, I still plan to finish our David series in February, so next two Sundays will be the final messages on David's series. And starting March, uh, our annual Missions Month begins, and I'm looking forward to have uh, Pastor Chris Crossan, member of two years ago. Uh, he was the retreat speaker for us and our dear friend. And uh, we've been partnering with his church, Gateway, in Alhambra, California. But today, as a special message, as, as uh, Stan mentioned, this message came to my heart. Uh, there are a couple of reasons for that. It's the beginning of the year, and it's one of those passages that help us to deal with the foundational things in our lives. The second of all, because of our culture. I think the distraction is one of the most difficult spiritual battles that we could fight. And because of internet, because of so many uh, things and devices that we could access to, there's so much distraction. We jokingly uh, post this fa Facebook post. There's some, some, you know, I laugh, chuckle in my heart because we identify with their family. Like a, having meaningful family time and everybody's sitting and looking at their device. Today's passage will help us to have kind of our lens refocused so that 2018 can look clear, clearer in, in some sense. Stan, our, our moderator just read uh, Proverbs 4.23, but we're going to read it in the context. Of Proverbs 4, verses 20 to 27. My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you your crooked, crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your high eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. 23, verse 23 is our focus. Keep your heart with all vigilance. For from it flow the springs of life. It, this is one of those verses sounds so cool, so I'm providing big perspective. But if you don't meditate enough that it is clear and straightforward, there's no impact on our lives. So let's ask that question first. What does it mean to keep our heart with all vigilance? And then the, the second sender, from, for from it flow the springs of life. What does that mean? And in other words, that, that second phrase prompts us to think about why. Why is it important to keep our heart with all vigilance? And thirdly, okay, now we're convinced. 
How do I keep my heart with all vigilance? So let's begin with the thinking about this verse in a more focused way. There are four uh, translations, starting with the ESV, English Standard Version. Keep your heart with all vigilance. NIV, New International Version, says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Kind of brings another side of it, isn't it? Message translation, this is more of a paraphrase of the original text. Uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrased it this way. Keep vigilant watch over your heart. That's where life starts. New Living Translation similarly says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. So let's begin with that, uh, the meaning of what does it mean to keep or guard the heart. The Western thought of a heart usually refers to our emotional center, right? So my head is confused, my heart is warm, meaning it's, it's about feelings. But biblical word, the uh, Hebrew word heart refers to not only feelings, but center of person's being. Another word that we could think about is a spirit. So it's not just a heart that uh, a seed of the emotions, but it's mind and intellect and the will as well. So you know, in in more conclusive way, it refers to the center seat of the inner person. The whole being, the outer person that we have, just you know, muscles and bones and flesh, and we move around, but there is an inner being that uh, Scripture refers to. To keep that part of it, and therefore, it, to keep the heart refers to keep or guard the condition of our inner center or inner being. Now let's think about why keep the heart with all vigilance. So first of all, the heart is the source of everything we do and and become. It is the well spring of wellspring of life. Everything comes from the heart. Um, it's First Samuel sixteen seven, and during David's series, this is one of the first passages that we looked at. Uh, when Samuel saw, uh, uh, you know, several uh, sons of Jesse, and and then he saw the one of the tall. The, the older brother, who is strong, who looks strong, who who like handsome and look like a, in our cultural term, and maybe just good-looking, tall, well-built quarterback, football team quarterback. Oh, he must be the one. And then, the Lord told him this. 16, verse 7, 1 Samuel. But the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And once again, it's not about emotion only, but inner being. Uh, Secondly, this heart is wicked and vulnerable if left alone. This is referred to original sin. Original sin is not the 
to Adam and Eve's sin, or that that's particular sin, but the consequence of that sin. In other words, every human being has a fallen heart. The impact of that sin coming into the humankind, human heart. So if it's left alone, it's wicked, vulnerable, left alone. This, one of, this is one of the biggest lies that we have to face in our, in our culture. Or even to, to teach our children the truth. From media, from, from education, what do we hear? Ultimately, every one of, one of the children, every one of us, a good person. That's a lie. <laughs> so I have four teenagers. We've never told them how to sin. And they seem to have no problem coming up. Their wickedness shows in so many directions. And so is ours as well. Um, Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Hebrews 3 verse 15 says, It is as it is said today, if you hear his voice, God's voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Thirdly, why is it important? Because the heart is where the fiercest spiritual battle happens for sin or real transformation. I had lunch with a, a friend yesterday and find out another sad story of just Broken marriage, affair, and, and how could this be? And it, my friend was affected even by the, by the news. And I'll tell you, if you look at his heart, the progression probably ha happened several months ago. The fiercest battle... It's not spur of the moment. It's in the heart. So this is important message because if we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good indeed this year, we better fight the good fight of faith, which begins in our hearts. So by the time others notice the progression has surfaced up in some sense. Your wife knows, your husband knows, or your close friends knows about something different about. Jesus' word himself, Matthew 15, verse 8, but when, what comes out of mouth proceeds from the heart and this defiles a person. And another chapter, the 23, 23rd chapter of Gospel of Matthew, verse 25, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and that the outside also may be clean. This is the biggest, one of the biggest temptations we have as believers, anyone who are trying to be a Christ follower in your religious activity, what happens? It's so easy to clean up our outside. I just think about this. Maybe when you become a Christian, you used to drink and you used to party and you used to smoke and all that. To clean that up doesn't take long, isn't it? So to a point that, you know, you look so normal and everything's clean, and and even even such a point such a point that your uh, appearance looks very decent. 
typical Orange County law-abiding person and church-going and volunteering and serving, all that, all that good. But what's inside needs to be dealt with. The real transformation happens inside out, never outside in. And tomorrow we kick off, we finally kick off Soul Care 3. The Soul Care 3, or Soul Care 1, 2, 3, or even 4, 5, 6, all Soul Care is all about this. How do we deal with inside out transformation rather than outside in? We better take a look at our heart. And fourth and final lesson, the reason. The heart requires our vigilant soul work for the inner life. Not just the soul care people, but every one of us who belong to Christ. Like a garden that needs to, to be tended and perpetual tending is necessary. Second Corinthians 3 Verse 3 says, And you're, you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. The new covenant is taking the outward Ten Commandments to the law of the Spirit. Get this. This is not visible. This is not so clear-cut. But the Spirit leads us through His desire. And our template of our hearts is the guidance of the Holy Spirit now. Another chapter, uh, another uh, Paul's letter in Philip. Ephesians 3, verse 16 through 17 says this. According to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. And so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. This is part of the reason for vigilance. Faith is active. As opposed, as opposed to passive. While faith does not merit. Which is grace. There are four reasons. Let me review them quickly before we go into how. The heart is the source of everything we do and become. And number two, the heart is wicked and vulnerable. If left alone, the, our default mode is wicked. The thirdly, the heart is where the fiercest spiritual battle happens for sin and real or real transformation. And the fourthly, the heart requires our vigilant spiritual work for the inner life. Gordon McDonald wrote one of the groundbreaking books. I would highly recommend it, even though it's been probably 20, 30 years, 30 years probably. In his um, book, Ordering Your World, Ordering Your Private World, I'm sorry, he writes this. For me, the appropriate metaphor for the inner spiritual center is a garden, a place of potential peace and tranquility. This garden is a place where the Spirit of God comes to make self-disclosure, to share wisdom, to give affirmation or rebuke, to provide encouragement and to give direction and guidance. When this garden is in proper order, it is a quiet place, and there is an absence of busyness or defiling noise or confusion. The inner garden is a delicate place, 
and if not properly maintained, it will be quickly overrun by intrusive undergrowth. undergrowth. God does not even walk in disordered gardens. And that is why inner gardens that are ignored are said to be empty. Oh, how poignant and convicting that is. Um, As much as I want to be man's man, one thing I'm glad to admit is I'm not good at taking care of my grass and backyard and front yard. I'm so glad that we have a gardener who comes every, every once a week, takes care of it. But there were times that something happened to a gardener, and he didn't come for weeks. Oh, hence the reason why we have a new gardener now. <laughs> <laughs> Did that happen to you before? It's just all kinds of weeds growing left and right, and and it's like embarrassed. If this is Irvine, they're going to call on us and it's, you know, put a little, little warning sign on our door. We live in Santa Ana, no, no warning sign, but I feel embarrassed even if my neighbors don't, do so, don't say anything. And that's what happens in our heart if it's not cultivated and maintained. But isn't it so easy in our destructive world that we could just live? Correctly put, we are just being lived by happenings. Sometimes we are entertained, sometimes we are bothered, sometimes we are annoyed. We ought to stop living like that. It's a zombie life. Brothers and sisters, this might be a just quiet call, but it's a quiet wake-up call for many of us. Do you live your life intentionally, deliberately for the glory of God by, by the leading of the Spirit or are you live by your circumstances? Whatever that happens to you, you merely react because the heart is not cultivated and maintained the real reaction, sometimes with anger, sometimes frustration, sometimes agitation, sometimes with sins. The gospel-centered living is a vision on life. In grace, but it's vision on life. So now that we are fully aware, hopefully, if not all of us, most of us, how do we do it? How do we keep our hearts with all vigilance? I have four biblical suggestions and principles. Number one, begin where you are with honest admission of your need. Psalm 139, 23 to 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Know the condition of heart. You know the human beings are the have a strange tendency when we are lost, we run faster. Have you done that? When you get even lost, you drive fast instead of sit, you know, park the car, your wife's telling you, pull over and ask somebody. I guess this is more applicable when 
the iPhone and you know the automatic uh, directions are not available. You need to look at the map and you need to ask someone. But we tend to drive fast. The first thing we need to do to keep our vision on, keep vigilance over our heart, is to stop and look at where we are. Have you seen this? When you go to shopping mall, I I, I have to admit, not because I'm not uh, materialistic, I'm free from all the consumerism, not because, because I'm lazy. I hate to go shopping because I don't know where to go. It just it gives me a headache. So when, you go to, when, I, when I go to shopping mall once a year um, <laughs> to buy something, I don't even know where that those things are. So one time I, I had this brilliant idea for a gift for my wife. Um, and the Brookstone store has it. Where do I go? And I walked in. And I'm so lost. But there it was. In the center of it, store map, the shopping mall map, and the red dot. You are here. When I saw you are here, then there is a reference. Oh, the store's over there. Because I'm here, I need to go that way. This is what it means to begin where you are. Have you ever stopped and asked, Lord, could you tell, tell me where I am? Here's my life, my heart, my junk, my baggages, my brokenness. Would you reveal things? Search my heart. If there's anything... Wicked. And I, I, would, I would love to confess and purge that out before I go on. Or if I am in right here, show me where I am. If I ask that question, could you tell me where is your heart these days? How is your heart these days? Oh, this is not a male and female gender questions that, you know, male typically, stereotypically say, I don't know. I don't care. The woman goes, let me tell you where I am. No, I've seen so many women who talk and talk and talk and talk around where they are. This needs the search of the Spirit. So hence the reason, unless we be quiet before the Lord in this extended period of time, in solitude and silence, if this is not something that you could come up with at your work desk for 10 minutes, you come up with it. No. As you are uh, going in, going to the God, and and there's a defense mechanism, you're guarded, and your hands are down. Lord, I'm gonna give you, give you a blank sheet and tell me whatever that you see in my heart that I need to pay attention. And we begin to admit our desperate need and acknowledge the Spirit's work within us, and then focus. On our hearts. This is not a self-condemning introspection. This is examining our heart, which is quite different from the self self uh, condemning introspection sounds so much of a self-absorption. It's all about me. When you examine your heart before God, it's all about what God desires. 
you want to align to that. Stay in the bright room, not the dark room, when you really want to know where you are. Let me um, give you my example on the temptation to be in dark room and in the bright room. When I looked at the sermon notes six years ago, it was just kind of embarrassing thing. So I wanted to update and try to look for within the few minutes I had in my office. I don't want to, but I think I need to share this. A uh, few years prior to that, our church had a picnic. It was still small uh, congregation. We went to a Tustin Park, in small park, and then one of the kids did his uh, games that day is during the uh, summertime, it was a hot summer, and they made a water balloon. and throwing things, right? My son, third son, said is now, you know, my height and um, 14 years old, all kinds of you know, adolescence in terms, but that he was cute. He was about this tall, and he was trying to throw a water balloon uh, to Soren or some someone, but he didn't have a strength to throw it. So I wanted to show him how to throw it. I grabbed his hand and he grabbed the ba- balloon, right? And I threw it really hard and threw his body up. <laughs> So in front of everybody, our church members, he got big cut here. He's crying. My wife is yelling at me now. What do I do? So I, you know, with caring friends and Jay helped us to t- stitch that up, and um, and then my son was not uh, bitter at all. So he he was. He was uh, enduring all that. He said, Dad, it doesn't hurt at all. Uncle Jay is doing this. I, I, didn't, I didn't cry. So you did a good job, son. So I came home. This is the, what, I, what I mean by dark room and, and bright room. Dark room is where I lick my wounds. I beat my head. Thousand times I play the scene to remind myself how pathetic, how loser I am. And how embarrassing, how shameful that was in front of whole congregation. I don't want to talk to anyone. I don't want to meet anyone. And by, the, by all means, God, just leave me alone. That's dark room. What's a bright room? Where God is there, God is light. It shines. It exposes. So initially, it's really painful to pay attention, to even think about why am I so feel ashamed? What what sin does it makes me to run away from people, from God, and how can I embrace this brokenness or admit that I need help, forgiveness from God, forgiveness from sin, my wife, my son, and my brothers and sisters at Crossway? Oh, it hurts like crazy. But as I'm staying there, that initial pain turns into calm peace. Right around the time I got a call from Ho Yun. One of Ho's gifts is he's very gentle, really gentle. And he called to care. When I looked at the phone, when it was Ho, there's a split second decision. Do I stay, go back to dark room, or do I stay in the bright room? The Holy Spirit said, you need to stay put. 
in your in the dark in the bright room. So I clicked and I don't know what Ho, Ho said. I don't remember, but I felt comforted. I felt not judged, but he continually asked some questions that helped me to stay in the bright room. That is life of grace, life in the grace. That's gospel living. And I don't know what kind of brokenness that you're running away from. I don't know what kind of dark room that you've been in. And today's the day the Spirit of God nudges you. My son, my daughter, I love you. Come with your brokenness. Come with your sin. Come and rest in me. Secondly, we need to cling to life-giving things with vitality of our hearts. Let's pay attention to the details of the passage today. The, The text says this in verse 20, My son, be attentive to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Let them not escape from your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all their flesh. It's it's as simple as this. As soon as you know where your heart, we need to cling to life-giving things. What are life-giving things? Starting with God's word and God's wisdom and prayer. Cling to godly thoughts and values. Cling to spiritual friends and community. Uh, let me let me say this much, okay? Many of you have a rugged individualism. You could rationalize any way you want your personality type, uh, your uh, temperament type, and then I I really don't do well with people. I just you know. But do you know? When our heart is the healthiest, that's the time we do so well in relationships. Let me put it the other way. Do you know when you feel most resistance in relationships? You don't want to relate. You don't want to open your heart. You don't want to share the heart sharing. You don't want to go to man's group. You don't want to go to woman's group because people ask those questions and you hate to dodge yourself, you know, those questions. That's the time your heart is in the most dangerous zone, unhealthiest state. So all the more when you when you just love that fellowship and you want to get together with your your home group people and men's group, a woman's group, all the more we should we ought to do that. But when you don't feel like it, when you felt some conflicts and tensions, and you need to declare a spiritual battle against your own flesh and wicked heart and say, "Lord, have mercy on me." And cling to that community and spiritual friends. Cling to convictions and leading of the Spirit. The things that you know so clearly that what you need to choose. Cling to those those things. And cling to the way of Jesus. The way of the cross. This is an important point because it is really the vision, at the heart of our vision. Do you know that if we follow Jesus, 
The pathway is narrow, and there's a suffering involved. Yes, suffering involved. Discipleship involves suffering. What kind of suffering? When you choose to humble yourself and reconcile. Oh, that's painful. When you choose to go to someone that you feel like I've done wrong, please forgive me, including your kids. And stop saying, but, right? Daddy is really sorry, but you made daddy so angry. And between husband and wives, can I just state the obvious thing? Marriage is hard. Really hard. But you know what it makes marriage anew and gives a new hope? When you forgive, when you ask for forgiveness, when there is a deep level of reconciliation goes on, you feel closer, you feel intimate. You don't feel like a stranger sharing the same house. And it's not just a duty. It becomes a joyful duty to love your wife, to love your husband, and to submit to one, one to one another. So know where your heart cling to life-giving things. And thirdly, put away life-draining things from your heart. <clears throat> Verse 24 to 27 uh, speaks of the negative command um, of today's text. Put away from your crooked speech and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet and all your ways be sure to not swerve to the left, right, or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. What are some things that is harmful for your heart? What are some things that is draining from your heart and life, in, rather than life giving? Right, let's start with the obvious things: all nonsense, all rationalizations, all blaming shifting, all compromises. Yes, Lord. And we confess. And we put away. And that's much needed. And moreover, any kind of self-negative talk and cynical thoughts and victimization that confuses your heart is something that we have to put away. I shared this with, with uh, uh, our leadership team and men's group as well. Uh, you know, my new accountability, we met over lunch and shared uh, something that I want to be held accountable. You know, two weeks ago, just two weeks ago, it wasn't that mind-boggling celebra celebration. Like, you cannot deny the God's favor and the bursting joy in, in, the, in our 10th anniversary as we celebrate God's faithfulness and the video and the pictures and our testimonies. Within five days, I, my heart became so stressed, so just so much worried about ten, some part of our con congregation conditions, right? So I wake up in the morning, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock in the morning, having this negative talk. This is your fault. You should have intervened earlier. Oh, you didn't practice what you preached. If you're only spiritual pastor, 
they'll listen to you and follow you and all that. You know who gives this? Our enemy. It's a lies. So basically, I feel like this wretched soul before God. I know, no, actually, not before God, but before myself. And there's a phrase in the scripture in Hosea. God is saying, these people do not cry from your heart while they are wailing in their bed. So think about this. Do not cry from your heart. I should cry out to God for these problems in our church, in my life. But what it is is that we are throwing pity party and self-condemnation, self-headbanging thing going on, wailing in, your, in their bed. Well, on, another way of putting it is this is the dark room. You end up doing this. This is the bright room. You cry out. The pain's real. Lord, have mercy on me. I am broken. Our church needs you. Healing. We need miracle. In the same way, the life training thing is confronting those things head on. I said this over and over with some of you. But when you're stuck with this life training thing, especially the traumatic thing, the trauma makes you get stuck in the five years just like that. Ten years just like that. No changes whatsoever. You're being stuck. If I didn't make a free fall, if I don't just jump, you know, 11, 12 years ago to resign from the large church and to wait on the Lord, I could see myself being in that condition, being miserable, being victimized, <laughs> blaming that large church's complex problems and maybe some people too. Put away fear, anxiety, burdens. Put away activities and habits that snare your heart. This becomes a subtle spiritual warfare when you get together with someone and you want to talk bad mouth to your wife. Bad mouth your husband. And that's different from really revealing vulnerably in your men's group, woman's group. But its message is clear. It's not my fault. It's her fault. It's not my fault. It's his fault. Only he, only she changes. Stop doing that. Fourth and last thing is create in, intentional space to tend your heart, which is a, your spiritual garden, as a regular rhythm of your life. Luke 5, 15 to 16 says this, Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to a lonely place and prayed. Son of God, who was a perfect God and perfect human being, Jesus himself saw this intentional need, the need for that. He often withdrew to pray. His withdrawal was purposeful, intentional. It's not a reactionary. It's not a, a spur-of-the-moment thing. Even after the busy night, he would get up 
And to a point, and went away to a lonely place, to a point that his disciples have to hunt him down. So when was the last time you took the initiative to get away from noises of your daily life and went to your favorite spot? For some of you, it's a coffee shop in the corner. Or some of, some of us, could be, it could be the park where there is no one bothers you and just quietness is there. Or library, or wherever, wherever that is. The intentional space is, Lord, I need you. Here are my broken toys. Here are my broken heart. The things that doesn't work in my, in my life anymore. Here is my sin that hunts me down. I don't like it. But I can't throw it away. If you're honest, that's every person. No matter how spiritual you might look. Remember I said I go to pastor's meeting once a week? I mean once a month? And to care for, to do soul care for one another, not to share how to grow a church and the, the, those tips. So it, it's a life-giving thing, activity that I do. But every time when I go there, my church problem is just a little thinky thing compared to them. And a lot of it is just the need for that pastor to stay healthy, for me to stay healthy, emotionally, spiritually, in many ways. So we care for that. What are those things? I've been going around in each home group, and I'll be at Fullerton's group, home group today to talk about keys to essential, essential key essentials to a meaningful quiet time. So you really learn to taste and joy, enjoy and see that the Lord is good in scripture and prayer. That's a daily rhythm. And then <clears throat> I share with encouraged and Boy and Cindy, and I'm, I'm going to let them share their journey and they're in the critical juncture of their lives. The, the battle was fiercest and it's more security is intense now that China has a new law in February 1st and that everybody's scared about what, what's going to happen and their in, inner life is quite shambled as well and I with some of the brothers and sisters we sat around and enjoy our meal and sharing I said, uh, you know, this might be a really good time for you to keep journaling. And Paul, like many of us, many, many brothers here in this room, oh, journaling is so hard. I just feel awkward. And here's some tips that I can give you. Well, because you write to yourself like a diary, right? But it sounds corny and cheesy, right? Why don't you talk to God through a journal? Make it conversation. Ask him questions. But God, I, I'm just messed up right now. I'm confused. I'll, unless you guide me, I don't know where I'm going here. How do I, how do I continually draw the fresh water from you? I don't know how. I'm trying these things. See, if you continually dialogue with God, you're going to stay on it. You don't have to write every day. Every day. And some, some days, I still remember when my dad was passing away in the inter-security unit, even the same day I wrote three times in a row. My second entry or third entry <coughs> goes like this. Okay, I'm back, Lord. I'm still on the same point. 
You see? You could continue dialogue. How will that help me? I'll, 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 I'll give you. It will show you where you are. It will help you to see your spiritual state, what God desires. And at the end of all that, when you look back, it becomes such a memorable milestone. The stone that you could look at and remember God's faithfulness and your, your own brokenness. So if you haven't tried, I would love to encourage you. And the weekly rhythm is obviously the spiritual community, your home group, uh, our, our Sunday worship service. And keep that. Keep that as a great sacred space. Occasional spaces, timely mini streets, mini retreats that I mentioned. So even one of the best, the marital uh, practice that you could do is allow your wife to go away three, four hours one night. You take care of the kids and let her hang out with God wherever she wants to go however she wants to spend time with God, and vice versa. Seasonal space, <coughs> cultivate holy traditions. Oh, this is timely. In, if during the announcement, I'm going to talk about Lent. I'm going to debunk some of the bad practices and misconceptions about Lent, especially Catholic traditions. And I'm going to suggest this a wholly traditional seasonal rhythm, what to do and how to... I, I anticipate that. I think our congregation really needs this. And do you know that our, our church has a quarterly Solitude and Silence Day? January is the biggest one, but it gets smaller. But come, join us. And oh, this is my, my promise and offer. There is no set, set day that works for you. If you gather three people and say, Paul, we have three people now. Can you join us and lead us in that process? I'll be there. Your day, and I'll make it to a point that I'll, I'll lead your customized uh, solitude silence day. I end with this quote from uh, David Ronkin. He writes, um, I needed to hear this in my own solitude silence day. I remember this picture. This is a good memory. I was journaling in San Clemente a few years ago, my solitude silence Retreat. <coughs> when we are willing to wait in solitude and silent prayer before God, the Holy Spirit begins to recenter our lives, picking through all the distracted fragments and confusion to the heart of who we are, to the place where God's love waits to welcome us. There we wait in hope and longing for the unfolding of the great secret kept in God's love, the secret of who we are becoming. Oh, that's hopeful. We need to encourage each other with that encouragement. Sisters and brothers, I invite you to pay close attention to keep vigilance over your heart. And this weekend, this week, and this entire year. Let's pray. Father, we know nothing happens by coincidence. And your sovereign will has the best things for us. And today, we see the reason 
why needed, we needed to hear this message and pay attention to that. I pray for all of us that we will be awakened from our spiritual sleep into a fully awake, vital state of our heart. And teach us to pay attention, to begin where we are, to draw from life-giving things, to pro-way life-draining things, and to create intentional space for us to cultivate our spiritual garden, our heart. In that, have mercy on us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.